Welcome to a new episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast. So there's this thing, AI, I don't know, seems like a big subject that keeps coming up. So we've mentioned it on various episodes, and now we're just going to go deeper on it. Uh, so we're joined by Nick to talk with us a little bit more about AI. Nick, can you give a brief introduction of who you are, what you do, and what your favorite happy hour beverage is? Uh, I work at Fixie, which is a startup working on AI developer platforms. Previously, I was on the Netflix uh, smart TV app with a bunch of y'all. And before that, I worked for the IRS uh, for a strange reason. Um, and my favorite happy hour drink is uh, Everclear, which is what I'll be drinking tonight. Very cool. Yeah. I also, sometimes we almost need to get into this government IRS type jobs. <laughs> yeah. I, I saw y'all did an episode a while ago about you know, public tech, uh, that, that was with the U.S. Digital Service, which is, you know, people from big tech companies trying to make the government better. Uh, just one one thimble full out of the ocean at a time. I'm sure you have some interesting stories there. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's also give introductions of our panelists today. Stacy, you want to start it off? Sure. I'm Stacy London. I'm a principal front-end engineer at Atlassian. Hey, everyone. I'm Cole, and I'm a software engineer at Netflix. Jim Young, engineering manager at Netflix. Hello, I'm Augustus, and I'm a software engineer at Twitch. And I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a engineering manager at Netflix. In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned at all in the episode, we'll all take a drink. And because we are talking AI and we are tired of picking keywords, we leveraged AI to pick the keyword for us. And what did AI decide today's keyword is? Learning. 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 So with something like AI, I'm pretty sure the word learning is going to come up at some point in this episode. So we will likely be having some drinks. Well, let's dive into the topic. A big one for me that is probably an important one to, that, to discuss is what's the difference between AI and machine learning? And I don't know if that counts. Does that count as a keyword? Cheers. Probably. So yes, cheers. Cheers, cheers y'all. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's an easy answer. If something is impressive and magical to us, it's AI. And if it's something we expect computers can do, it's machine learning. Uh, you know, I mean, this, this is sort of like a shifting goalpost thing for a long time. Like people used to say, a computer will never play chess. That is the sign of true human intelligence. And then like they did it and it's like, it's actually not that hard. And it, now we just completely take it for granted. Um, so that's sort of like the cheeky answer. The, the more serious answer is today when people say AI, they're referring to large language models, predominantly. This technology from the past few years, transformers, and the new types of capabilities that that entails, which specifically is a sort of like general intelligence in a way that you know, the Netflix recommendation algorithm, we wouldn't call that AI because it can only recommend videos to people, uh, whereas GPT-4 can actually do a wide range of sort of general tasks. When you say that, what do you mean are some of the new capabilities that we're seeing? Yeah, so the things that people have been using these models for most sort of near term are their ability to understand structured, uh, unstructured data and to generate and sort of synthesize things like text or code or images or videos or 3D models. You know, if, again, if sort of compare it to the previous paradigm of like the Netflix video recommendation algorithm, you have to feed in very structured data that's going to uh, operate on that. Whereas this, you can just feed into arbitrary freeform text. And for the first time to, you know, a huge range of engineers, you have the ability to have like understanding of natural language in your app. 
that previously would have required like really advanced ML research. I still like your magical answer. That, that might be the best, best one I've heard on AI so far. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the other, the other, like, there are a lot of people who are trying to like really push it and make it do things. I think this is where some of the criticisms of hype come into when, when the pushing like doesn't really work. Um, you know, and, and sort of try to make it do things like it's actually not super well equipped to do today. But, you know, if, if no one pushes the boundaries, then we're not going to know where things are. I guess, I guess I'm sort of curious from you all, like, are, are there any use cases that you're excited to use AI for or things that you've been thinking about sort of incorporating into your work? I've got one. I am so bad with figuring out what I want to do with my house and with generative AI. They have these tools where you can upload pictures of a room or a garden or something and AI will go in and make it look like a showroom or make it look like a professionally designed landscape. And I'm thinking about doing my backyard right now. I've been using this tool to figure out some of these ideas. Do they even look good? Will I like it? One example that you know, I, I won't maybe integrate anytime soon, but I've just been trying to learn like game development. And it's actually really crazy how far um, AI uh, has kind of come to assist in making games. The most uh, common thing that I've seen, um, and it's very possible I'm confusing AI and ML. So if I'm wrong about this, please like call me out. But uh, they're, they've integrated procedural generation in a lot of like the game developing software. So like uh, there is this really cool talk I saw from GDC where they showed, oh, like you want to like populate this like map of uh, for, with a bunch of trees? Well, we'll just procedurally generate like you just pass in one texture and we'll kind of figure out like what are some little adjustments we can do to the tree texture or where they should be spaced around the map. And it's just like, literally does it, does it in like a second. And that probably would have taken a designer or someone like handpicking, that tree looks like it should go there or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm super excited for stuff like that. Another thing with games I'm really excited for is using large language models to uh, do like the character dialogue. So, you know, think about what can really break the immersion on a game when you know the npcs have like 10 voice lines and the developers are like 10 voice lines ought to be enough for anyone but like when you play the game for 20 hours it just like really starts to grate on you but like with lms you can just have sort of infinite generations of character voice lines i love that as someone who played a lot of video games growing up uh like final fantasy 7 or any of those mmos you're just wandering around you hear the same lines and what you're saying is it's going to get more richer it's going to feel more fuller and the nice thing is it's not just the language like now i'm seeing on TikTok, they are using ai to also do voice synthesis which so now you have the script now you have the dialogue now you have the trees what part of the game is actually hard-coded yeah yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, also, I guess it's to your point about like, just integrating it with the development process. Like, I'm just so excited for how it, this is going to lower the bar to creativity for so many people. Like, I have a lot of ideas in my head, I do not have the technical capability to like draw, or like use Photoshop in a meaningful way, or any of that. But like, I can go to mid journey, or I can go to stable diffusion, and I can describe what's going on in my head and then get things out that kind of look like it. Uh, and that is just really exciting for me. Have, have you all have you all played around with any of the, like the sort of image generation tools or anything like that? 
The image generation stuff is very cool. Like played with both that you've mentioned, but even Photoshop has start. Well, I think it's still beta, but Photoshop and some of the Adobe suite has AI built in. And I've been blown away by the sheer volume of time I'm saving from editing photos that was just generate the rest of this background or remove something. And it's just, it's impressive. The odd time, it's a little wonky still. You get the like weird hands or arms from like people. But for the most part, I've seen some pretty impressive things that, yeah, I think for me, it was just saving a lot of time and effort. But I am curious to know everyone's thoughts maybe here is like, art generated like if you're literally going to some of these tools and just saying like hey make me a wizard you know on a unicorn jumping over a rainbow should we consider that art like i I know that's like nick i think you put it really well is it's coming out of your head right like you're like i have this idea and i'm putting it on paper i may not be able to draw that but i'm now telling ai to produce it Do we still consider that art? I mean, one thing I do like about Adobe is that they're doing a lot of really good work to try and make sure that their models are fed with images that are approved, meaning they're, they're, you know, open to be used as opposed to, you know, a lot of real artists making things that are being stolen from to populate these models where a lot of the art tends to look like other artists that have like built things in, and made things um, with their with their time. So I think I appreciate that about Adobe and that they're trying to be really careful about it. And yeah, the question of whether or not it's it's art, I think that's an interesting uh, ethical, moral question for our time. Yeah, I think sometimes you could ask like, is digital photography real photography? Like to to me, you know, every everything beyond a cave painting has like more and more assistive tooling. And, uh, you know, to me, it's all creative expression. Um, and, and there's not sort of like a magical point where we say, oh, well, n- now you're getting too much help. I have strong thoughts. Uh, I love how you brought it up. Actually, there was a few episodes ago, I talked about how um, this was such a big deal um, for the moderators of the subreddit art, where they were just getting flooded with uh, these art submissions that were just being generated. And they made a pretty controversial decision at some point to just like ban these people. And one person got banned for actually drawing something that looked too much like AI art, I guess, is is the best way to put it. And yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's such a good it's such a good question. My personal take is, you know, when I think of art, I think I think Nick, you put a really great word to it, um, like creative expression. I, and I think of intention, like an artist comes in and maybe is painting something or build, trying to express something. Um, and I think with what um, these image generators are giving us, it makes it that much easier. It makes the bar a lot lower. Um, so I think like there, you, can, you can consider that art. You know, there's maybe some intention of why you generated that image, but I think the bar for it will be low. And I think the appreciation for it will also become a lot lower too like now and i've already seen this in my day-to-day now i see some beautiful artworks i'm just like probably someone just threw some words into a generator and created that but it's cool that's good and it's kind of sad but you know maybe that's just the way the world will be now yeah it would have been really funny to me if if we had taken an opposite stance and been like no i don't think it's really art and then someone would have been like 
okay, well, if someone uses an AI to write code, does that mean they're not a real engineer? And we're like, oh, well, oh, excuse me. Like, no, 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 no. Okay. No, no that, that, that is real engineering work that deserves respect. I mean, to be fair, I've seen on Twitter people being like, yeah, you're not a real engineer if you use AI. And I'm like, eh, that's that's questionable. I, I feel yeah. like, no, it's a tool that you are now leveraging. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'd say the same thing I said about the case painting of like, are you not a real engineer if you use Google? Like, are you not a real engineer if you use languages higher level than assembly? Like, yeah, we've just been getting new tools this whole time. Um, will this one finally replace us, get us fully out of the loop eventually? Maybe. But until then, <laughs> I think you're still a real engineer, even if you're using the best tools available to you. Yeah, and hopefully at some point there's always we're getting better, like ahead of AI, but who knows, right? Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't hold out long term hope for that. That's why you're working at an AI startup, Nick. <laughs> yes. Yes, that is that is exactly why. Yeah, if I if I didn't <laughs> think that were true, I probably oh, shouldn't be you know, an engineer and AI startup. I'm just gonna pivot a little bit because we've been talking about some of the things we're excited about with AI. Some of the things it's good at, but what are what are some things it's actually good at? What are those things that, you know, it's not so great at these days? And is that inherent to kind of our, our understanding of AI and like the large language model, uh, like engineering field? Or is that um, something we're going to overcome in time? So I guess we start with like, what is, what is AI currently good at? Yeah. So what AI is currently good at, the things people are, the most canonical hello world example is the chat with your docs. The, the chat with your knowledge base. If you go on Twitter, on like AI Twitter, like every 45 minutes, someone's like, I just hooked up OpenAI to talk to my company's customer support. Um, so like that, I think is like a really strong use case that people really like. I don't feel like we've totally settled on like the UI patterns for all that yet. Um, which is really interesting to me because I feel like they're like as sort of a, a community of UI engineers, we need to come up with new patterns for all of these new apps. A lot of the apps I see feel like uh, the radio show on TV effect, which was when TV first started, people weren't making like real TV shows. They were just reading radio shows on the TV because they only knew how to do the last thing. I feel like we're kind of in that phase now with AI apps. Um, and so it'll be very exciting to see, you know, how we, how we progress and figure out how these things are supposed to look. I know what you mean, because I've seen a few apps where, like you're describing, it just feels like they bolted on AI on top of their existing app. Um, I recently saw a travel app, which now I wish I knew the name of it, because it had AI built into it where it could help you figure out uh, certain attractions or activities that were in close proximity. And the beauty of it, it wasn't just AI bolted on. It was like there's an interactive map, there's filters and toggles that plug into the inputs into the AI. And it provide a specific artificial intelligence on top of travel versus like chat and searching for a flight is totally different. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, so I think what, what it's good at today is like, you know, we can now easily make apps that really understand user intent from natural language. Um, like, you know, I, I have this little open source uh, program that I wrote, I call the natural language router where it routes your application based on just a natural language description. So you can like, when the user is angry, take them to the apology microsite, uh, you know, or like if the user is confused, you know, then show like a help page. And like the AI can just look at what the user is saying and come up with determinations like that in a way that like a year ago, two years ago, that was not a broadly accessible thing. Other things that it can be really powerful for are, you know, generating content. So, you know, if you give it, 
sort of like an outline and some knowledge. It can sort of generate stuff from that. It's really good at shifting styles or tones. So if you have some like semantic meaning and you say like, make this more professional, make this more casual, rewrite it as a Shakespearean sonnet. Like it's really good at, at style shifting like that. You can write some good poems. Like I'm impressed. Right. Like you can just give it something. And I'm like, damn, I don't think I could have ever written a poem that good. So it's it's pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are some people who are like, you know, oh, I, I write the first half of my memo and then I use Chad GPT to write the second half. And like that, I feel like it's not as good at. And because really what it's doing at that point is it's just inferring based on the first half of what you said, what you're going to say in the second half. And like if ChatGPT can do that, you probably don't need to write the second half of the memo because right. it probably is just sort of contained in the first half. You know, I think that that's like where some of the limitations are, too, is that we're leveraging things like ChatGPT to absolutely help assist in maybe writing that memo or starting some of those things. I think that's the thing is it starts it. It's a good way to like help shape an idea, but it's not great. Like I can't hit submit to that, right? Like, or if I write an email, I've definitely leveraged that. And I'm like, uh, yeah, let's change the tone a bit. And I'm sure you could throw it back in the AI and it would tweak it a bit. But I think there's still things where I'm like, I'm going to put my own personal touch on it, but it is saving me time by just like getting from nothing to something. I've actually never tried the, yeah, here's half my memo, write the rest of it. Because like you said, Nick, you're not, you're, it's just going to kind of probably just almost duplicate it, but rewrite it a little bit differently. Yeah. Or, or just really have a prediction of like, based on every other memo that I've written or that I've read that starts like this, this is how they tend to end, you know, but then it does, it does start to be interesting of like, you know, I only want to write content that chat GPT could not easily produce because like, otherwise I'm just being derivative and like, not that interesting. In that sense, I feel like that's where chat GPT, even though that is a limitation, that's where it, you don't want to use it to its full ability. Uh, for example, I've used uh, ChatGPT to describe a piece of software I'm working on and say, hey, give me a getting started guide. And because it's able to template an outline and use its language modeling patterns, it was able to produce a getting started guide that follows kind of like what you would typically see in getting started guides. And then all I had to do on top of that is what you're both saying is I had to go in and fix the templating, fix the outline. And that combination of human plus AI is where I think even if there are limitations, it's still augmenting our abilities. Yeah. And, and for me, what a lot of this stuff comes down to is like, it's easier to be an editor than an author. It's easier to review a pull request than it is to write it in the first place. It's like if the AI is the author and I'm the editor, like that's a substantial cognitive load off of me. Oh, yeah. Like even to the pull request thing, like I would love for it to almost like write up some of your pull requests for you, it can read the code and say like, oh, yeah, yeah. And be able to almost like fill in that blank input field and say like, here's my pull request and describing that to your team. And you can tweak it, right? But like that is going to substantially make it better. I know I've heard Jem say many times, write comments in your code. Well, I mean, AI can help start to do that. I still think it's not going to be perfect that your human intervention can tighten that up. But like, these are absolutely things that can make us better and just save us time, which I think is really cool. That's where I feel like uh, these tools, they're still not mature to the point where we've contained them. And one area where I feel like that's becoming out of control is academia and schooling. We've been hearing how Essays are clearly coming from ChatGPT. 
We've been hearing how students aren't even doing the research anymore. And so it's almost like what happened with the internet and Wikipedia. If you remember uh, old professors or your teachers would say, you can't use Wikipedia as a source. Now Wikipedia has citations, it has sources. And so ChatGPT is doing in the 2023, what Wikipedia did in the early 2000s. It's giving us a tool that we can use to do our research. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, hot take, like, I understand maybe this is impractical for academia, but I feel like if the homework assignment is trivially doable with ChatGPT, then you, that's not a good homework assignment. You know, so, sort of like saying if you are, you know, if, if the homework assignment is trivially doable with a calculator, like, okay, maybe at some point you need to learn how the calculator works, but like, that's not sort of where you want to end up. That's not the most interesting stuff. Oh, I mean, I remember being told in math class that, you know, you're not always going to have a calculator with you. So you have to learn this. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I always have a calculator <laughs> yeah. with me. It's it's probably every one of us does. And like, that's it's just funny that how technology does shift that um, and the schooling have historically fought some of those things, right? Internet, absolutely cool. Wikipedia, even writing, like I've, maybe this is dating me, but I feel like I remember being made to like had to still write pen and paper. And they're like, no, no, you can't type that up. It's like, when was the last time you hand wrote like a an essay or memo or something like that would be ridiculous. Like I still take some hand notes here and there, but that I'm not sending that to like my team to read. So yeah, it, it's really funny how that changes. The school is a really interesting example. Like I, I get bored sometimes. So I, I, one time I saw like the, the entrance exam for Harvard for like the class of 1900. And it was like pure rote memorization of just this like random collection of esoteric facts. And I'm like, is this what academia was back then in, in 1900? Whereas today we jumped to 2023. I think we like to think of learning and academia as more like the application of that knowledge. Uh, but a lot of it is just wrote memorization, just it looks a little bit different. So I'm with you, Nick. Like if it can be done trivially by some AI, then it's probably not a good application of like testing if I knew the subject or not. It's just trying to ingrain in my brain old school. And honestly, I, I don't think the world is ready for that when it comes to education. If people can just look this stuff up, because like everything we do today is based on just repetition, repetition, repetition to the point where, you know, that's all people know. They know what it is, but not what it means. And I don't, I don't know if AI can help with that, like that kind of giving meaning to things. Yeah. I mean, one of the fundamental debates with AI is between people who think that it's a form of genuine, meaningful intelligence versus the stochastic parrot crowd, which is to say the AI doesn't understand anything. It just regurgitates patterns to which I might ask, are we sure that we are not just regurgitating patterns? Like... I feel like sort of from the inside of my cognition that like I am a pattern matcher and like I just sort of predict the appropriate thing to say in a given moment. Uh, so like I'm not sure that I'm any better <laughs> than what the AI would be. Um, but, you know, but yeah, Jim, to your point with like the education. Yeah, I think there's a lot of stuff in education where it's sort of guessing the teacher's password, as they would say, of like you just need to sort of regurgitate the right sequence of words. But like, are we really training or testing for like true integrative understanding. Uh, I don't always know. I feel like that means the goal of academia changes because it's no longer about what can you assemble in terms of information that you're reciting or regurgitating. 
but rather what can you assemble from language models from AI and rather than having to learn cheers rather than cheers. having to learn cheers. all this stuff it be it becomes about how much can we do on the cusp because with all of this information at our fingertips how much do we actually need to absorb anymore yeah and and i think you know software engineering itself is going to change like that too like i think that you know our our day to day will become less of you know how much code can you write yourself and more how good are you at sort of provoking the model to produce the code you need? Like in a way we might all become engineering managers, right? We might all become tech leads where you sort of have these models. You know, other things I think might happen is we might design interfaces and like write documentation and code that is easy for AI to use, right? Like today we design our systems on the presumption that like humans are going to be using it. Uh, but like if AI is the ultimate consumer of the API, like that, that might change how we structure things. I've heard this uh, this theory that AI is actually going to make bugs proliferate a lot more because AI can only generate what it's seen before. So if it's copying like code from GitHub and some most popular repo and there's a bug in there, it's always going to copy that bug and apply that to all the code that people see. So it'll never... And the problem is like, because engineers only will know how to use AI, they won't know how to debug that. I've heard that theory too. Um, but it's going to be some of the like generational talking down to the, the generation after is, is pretty common in human history where like the kids will never understand they're dumber than we are, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't know how much of that is true. Oh, I think it's bullshit. I think kids are way smarter. Like each generation, <laughs> we're like more and more smarter. I know my kids are going to be like 10x smarter than me. I'm good with that. That's awesome. But Jem, I, I, you make a valid point. Like I think about it, even we've said this as front end engineers a lot is that it's really important to understand the fundamentals of JavaScript and not just rely on the framework because absolutely you run into those situations where you're like, oh shit, something's not working. How do I deal with it and how do I debug it? And there is still a skill there. And so I think the same can be said with AI. It's like, I, I mean, I've generated components from ChatGBT. It's pretty impressive. They're not perfect though. And so you still need to understand like if you're, generating a React component, you still have to understand how to manipulate or tweak it to get it to work. And granted, I'm sure we'll get into this more as AI evolves, is like it's going to continue to get better. And so hopefully those bugs slowly get worked out. But I think you still need to understand how to change something. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a lot like going to Stack Overflow. Like, you know, we've all done it. Uh, you, you find the Stack Overflow magic incantation that seems like it does what you want and you paste it in and you rerun the code and it works and then you move on. Um, but of course, if you don't actually understand what it's doing, like, you know, bugs can slip in there. And it's the same with AI, right? If you don't understand what's going on, like you are at risk. I personally think AI is going to have higher accuracy than Stack Overflow pasting because at least the AI is like aware of your context and can try to do something a little more specific to your environment. Um, but yeah, absolutely, Gem. If, if, it's not at least at least with today's models in today's world, uh, it's it's a big assistance, but it's not going to completely replace knowing what's going on. But yeah, I mean one one sort of workflow that I really like is taking something like you know you have your Webpack config and you want to enable hot module reloading or something, and you can paste that into the model and say here's my config, please rewrite it with hot module reloading enabled, and then it spits it back out. You look at it, you're like yeah. That is what it was. And then you paste it back into your editor and you're done. And like that to me is so much easier than having to Google 
for the Webpack Hot Module API, and then sort of integrate that into the specifics of my project. I guess uh, I, I I don't disagree with that at all, and it's a good thing. But I would say, at least speaking personally for my own journey of of engineering and how I got to where I am, like a lot of that was built on just random exploration of, hey, I want to do X, and then three hours later I'm doing Y and Z, and but like all that I retain somewhere and. Like I can now apply all of that to every problem that I see in the future versus what's the answer? Here's the solution. And I'm like, cool, I move on. I, I would I would say I almost feel bad for engineers coming in now because like I wouldn't I wouldn't know all the stuff that I know if I just immediately got the answer. So it's kind of like a I don't know. I, I'm I'm very conflicted on this because on one hand it, it does make me more productive where I need to do something I can get it done much faster. But in the long run. Is it like hindering me by just like always giving me the solution? I never have to kind of struggle. And that's kind of what allows me to apply my, my rigor to being a good engineer. So I don't know. I, I really go back and forth on this. Yeah, I think I think that is an interesting point. I feel like it's sort of like with some you know consumer-facing UIs where they'll run an A-B test where they're like, we know exactly where the user is going. So we're just going to serve them that immediately. But then because the user didn't have to click through the app and like see sort of other content in the app on the way in there, um, you know, they actually, oh, in the long term, they're missing out, right? Because they don't get to see that other stuff. And so, yeah, in the same way, if, you know, let's say you're new to Python and the GitHub Copilot knows that you want to open a file. And so it just spits out, you know, the file open function. But what you miss out on is going to the Python docs and like learning what else Python can do and like all that stuff. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that is sort of a missed opportunity. And, and I don't know, you know, what's going to replace that or if it's just going to be, you know, something that gets lost. I, I love that you brought this up, Jeff, because it's like, I also am conflicted because it is a trade-off. And it's funny because even before this huge boom in AI, like I've seen this happen a lot, like, um, like quick story, like at um, an old company I worked at, um, we had a job I'll just say, we worked at Evernote and we worked on everyone's front, favorite front end framework, Google Web Toolkit. And and there is this uh, to compile the Maven project, you know, all the Maven commands, whatever. Someone wrote this incredibly detailed build shell script that did everything for you. It literally did everything. And later that guy, you know, um, he moved jobs and literally no one knew exactly how this build script worked you know like not all, he was like a wizard in bash programming so we had to like eventually one day reverse engineer <laughs> we had to reverse engineer how this build script worked and it was it was crazy yeah i mean just just i totally get jem's point about like the joy of learning software but i will fully give up all knowledge of maven i i just want to do Whatever it takes to get in and get out as quickly as possible. And I recognize this is my full stack JavaScript privilege showing, but like I, I have no desire to, to tarry in those sullen lands. So I think we've mentioned a few things in this episode that I think are interesting for productivity and, and thinking of us as developers. What are ways that developers today should be leveraging AI to help them be more productive and effective too? Like it's, you know, yeah, you could tell chat GBT to write all your code, but we know that's probably not the most effective thing. So what are things today that uh, engineers should be doing? Yeah, so I I am using sort of model-based search engines. So there's one called Perplexity I use a lot, you know, new Bing, chat GPT with plugins, like these are all sort of similar things. 
And my Googling has actually gone way down. Like, and, and when these tools are not available, I am unhappy. Um, basically the process where you have some error message, you're trying to figure out what it means. You Google for it. You click on the top three results that kind of smell good. You read through it. You figure out which one isn't relevant. Then this GitHub issue turned into a flame war. And so now you're like, oh my God, what's going on here? And now you're really distracted and it's kind of fun, but you know, you're losing time. Anyway, the bot will just do all that for you. And it'll just write out. Basically, like, you know, when you're Googling and then you find like the perfect blog post that exactly answered your question, basically the bot will just write that blog post for you on the spot using your code as the example in the blog post. And when it works, it's a really magical experience. Um, do you all know about the let me Google that for you site? Yes. It's just the classic, you know, someone <laughs> asks you a, a silly question and you go to this website and it has a little animation showing them how to use Google. Um, so like perplexity is the new thing like that for me, where if someone asks me a question that was like very easily perplexityable, I'll just like send them the link to me answering that on that site. Um, so, you know, I think, I think that stuff is super useful. Another thing that I use uh, ChatGPT for is to translate code. So like I was experimenting recently with defining types in TypeScript and then defining types in Zod, which is this like library that outputs a JSON schema. So it's two different ways to sort of define types in your code. And I wrote all the TypeScript, I paste it into ChatGPT and said, rewrite this as Zod. And it just spits it right back out for me. Uh, like, you know, the model is just super good at doing that type of thing. Um, so that's that's been a big boost for me. Has, has anyone else been sort of using, using these tools in their day-to-day? I can't wait for the day when these AI programs or machine learning programs, cheers, cheers. are just built into the environment or the operating system or the platform. And the reason why is it's cool that it can help you write code, but writing code is only half the problem of engineering. The other half is maintaining the systems, keeping them, keeping the lights on. And I would love for nothing more than to ask some chat software, what is wrong with my application? Why is it, why is latency high? Why is it timing out? Why are, why is it scaling up or down? And it will just know, it'll know from the statistics, from the metrics, from the way the program runs over time, why it's not in the good state. And that's, I mean, I, I know we're like on the cusp of that. That's what I'm waiting for. Yes, Cole, I love that so much. The going on support and trying to, in like getting pulled into some hot where they're like, oh, you know, lag is down, you know, like something's not performance level on this service endpoint's not not where it should be and like there there's like a million people searching slacks to see if there's another uh service that's down or is aws down or is this down or maybe something else is affecting it it's like to have some tool that inspects all of that at light speed to tell you oh that's because this very specific thing is happening that you it would have taken you forever to find out that's a, that would be amazing and i think that that's the kind of stuff that we should really leverage it for. Yeah, or even something just as simple as like uh, at Netflix, you know, there's some SRE incident and it's pretty common to have new people get paged in when they're needed. And then someone always has to explain to them, they're like, you know, we've been in the trenches for three hours. Let me just give you the three key points or whatever. That is like very doable by an AI. Oh yeah, like I actually just want that in Slack too. Like I'm tired of being... Uh, thrown into a 30, you know, message thread that's like, Ryan, what do you think? You know what I think? Can someone please summarize this for me? And that's where AI would be really helpful because I think it's really 
disconnecting and unproductive to, to kind of throw someone in like that. But I get it too, is you're not like, oh, let me, you know, necessarily summarize everything for you. That is where AI can be very beneficial. Uh, one I'm excited for, and to be honest, I'm sure a lot of companies are using I've used it a little bit on the side is Copilot. I think Copilot is quite a powerful tool that it really, to me, helps like define that like it is a tool that it's something that's assisting you and it's there just to make your life that much easier and just like to finish things for you that you're not thinking of. And it's quite powerful. Like I've been pretty impressed and I've only played with a little bit. And so I think like Things like that, where you have AI alongside what you're doing can be really powerful. Where's AI in the testing space right now? Because I feel like that is a prime target for it. Yeah, I want it to write all of my unit tests and all my integration tests and all... I wanted to write all the tests. I never want to write tests ever again. Yeah, and I mean, I remember back in like 2013, there was this Ruby library that would like let the PMs write tests and... The PMs would write sort of the user stories in natural language, but then the engineers would write like very deterministic code that would, you know, parse out the natural language. It's like, okay, you, you, it doesn't really live to the promise of like natural language understanding. Uh, yeah, maybe may, may I even call Cucumber, I can't remember. Um, but like now we actually have the ability to do that. Right. Um, and I, I don't know of any sort of products that are offering that yet, but like, I expect in the next year or so, like we'll see something like that. And finally, we can have the dream of just going straight from user story to, uh, you know, to testing. And then, and then we even have things like, you know, today, if you're writing uh, web tests, you know, you'll be using something like Selenium or Cypress or, you know, something like that. And you're sort of, you're annotating your UI with all of these like data test attributes or these other sort of ways for the test runners to sort of hook into it. But there are people out there who are making companies to train AIs to just navigate arbitrary user interfaces. And once you have that, and then you add that to the piece of like understanding what the PM is saying in the, in the user stories, then it's like us as UI engineers, we don't need to build those special hooks in at all. Just the AI is just able to use our app like a normal user. And then I think another direction where things might get, get interesting or get easier is if we move away from building dedicated UIs for everything we're doing, and it's more just sort of like affordances in various chatbots. And so users are just saying to the chatbots, here's the task I'm trying to accomplish. Maybe we have UIs that are sort of generated on the fly, like little widgets that show up to do specific sorts of tasks. Um, but in that case, I also think that like the integration testing burden on us goes way down because all we have to do is sort of be able to render a few widgets to do key tasks and all the business logic can be handled by the AI. That is really cool to think about too, is like, I even think of that like PM like input and like how they're like, you know, they're, they're almost explaining right now, they would explain to engineers like what they're trying to achieve. And there's a lot of back and forth, but yeah, if you could have that back and forth with AI and being able to help that, I that's, it just, Opened my eyes a lot just hearing you say that, Nick. I'm like, yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way. So it's really cool. Yeah, but but to be clear, that back and forth will happen with the AI. Oh, yeah. Brings us, yeah. Which which brings us to prompt engineering. Are are you all familiar with this with this field with this endeavor? Um, You know, I think I think that's going to become the new A/B testing, um, where like you know, because the thing with these models is, and this is this also goes in the limitations category. It can be genuinely frustrating to work with these models because they are these opaque machines like 
no one understands why they do the things that they do. Interpretability is like a major field of research that is like underdeveloped right now. So sometimes you will just give the model an instruction and it will just not pay attention. Uh, and then you sort of have to like phrase it in a different way or like get it to pay more attention and then like it works better. But it sort of becomes like an A-B testing type problem of like, okay, I'm going to change my prompt in production and I need some way to observe how it behaves. And, you know, on the, on all sort of the metrics we use with A-B testing, right? Like correctness, performance, you know, other sort of downstream metrics and indicators. Um, and there are various companies that are popping up to like try to help with that. Um, you know, yeah, both both designing the prompts and then also like the A-B testing the observability. But it's like a whole new sort of observability layer of the stack that uh, has previously not been under consideration at all. That's really funny because that takes me back to something you said at the start of the episode, which is how we're interfacing with AI today through these prompts is kind of like what you said with TV just starting with radio. It's like, it's it's the format that gets us off the ground, but it's not necessarily the input and output that we'll use with AI long-term. Yeah. And it, and it's interesting. Like, I think there are so many different directions it could go. I think everyone is really focused on the chat interface right now because ChatGPT had just this meteoric rise. But I think there's a lot of ways as engineers, we can integrate AI into our applications that is not through a chat interface, whether that's like just offline processing or sort of applying intelligence behind the scenes or something that's more you know, it is sort of more UI element forward, but it is sort of an AI that's sort of piecing some things together behind the scenes. And yeah, it just sort of reigns to be seen what those patterns are going to be. You know, another interesting new challenge is uh, all of a sudden we have a lot of latency on our API requests again. Like I think in sort of a previous generation, we had a lot of UI tricks to like make things feel smooth because like the backend could be very slow sometimes. And like nowadays, you know, even like streaming video, right? Like for people with, with good connections, the play delay is measured, you know, in very small amounts of time. But with AIs, you know, it takes a long time to generate these tokens. And so like now people need to come up with like new UI paradigms or maybe sort of refresh some of the old ones. But how do you keep the user engaged as this content is coming in? Like, how do you give them a sense of progress and not like their whole app is just locking up? So like one, you know, super low level thing is on some of these, these tools, the AI can emit markdown which is nice because it gives like a very easy way, right? You can make, make easily make a, a front end component that just renders Markdown. The AI understands Markdown really well. And so now you have some more structure to your output instead of just a big wall of text. But as you're streaming, like when you when the Markdown is sort of partially coming in, you're gonna see sort of like some weirdness. So like, you know, to start bolding in Markdown, I think it's like two stars, right? Like two asterisks. So what that means is as, you, as you're streaming in, when you start bolding, you'll just see those two stars and then you'll see the content and then the other two stars will come in and then that whole thing will pop into bold, which like, I don't know, like, are we just going to accept that forever? Like, is there a, a better solution? You know, I was trying to think like, are we going to start seeing things where you have heuristics where you're like, oh, are these two stars the start of bolding? Or, you know, so I'll show, like hold it back until I see if it, you know, what comes later. Um, so it's just interesting to think about how we're going to evolve that stuff. It is a good segue. Like we've seen this mature so fast, like AI in general. What's kind of next? Like what's evolving just like even now? Like I think I feel like each week something's getting better and better. And so how is the ecosystem maturing? It is pretty amazing how quickly things are changing. So you know, just this last week, we saw the release of Llama 2, which is really significant because it's the first big open source model that's competitive with the big closed models. And what that means is that 
you know, less, less for people like me who, you know, just, just front end engineers, but like, if you're at a company that has some AI engineers, you can take Llama too, and you can change the internals to sort of, you know, fit your needs in a way that like open AI, like that does out of the question for you. Um, so like, yeah, that's, that's, I think really significant. And the fact that Facebook is going to be putting a lot of energy metas, we have a lot of energy into that, I think is, is very interesting for the space. Um, you know, and then, and then previous weeks have also had like very big announcements. So yeah, it's, it's a very rapidly evolving space. Um, but your question about sort of what's next and where's it going, um, in terms of like the app developer space, like if you're looking to build with AI, it is, it is in such like a wet clay state right now. Um, people are still trying to figure out like, what are the layers of the stack and where does everyone want to sit? Like what pieces do people want to own? Some companies are taking what feels like really thin slivers of value. Other companies are doing things that feel way too thick. And then you'll have someone else who comes in and like they're drawing it diagonally. It's like, I'm doing some of this and some of this. And it's like, no one really knows, I think in the way that like with traditional full stack app development, you know, I think we have a pretty good sense now of like what the stack is and sort of what the different modular layers you swap in and out are. Um, so that's that's something I'm really excited to see, you know, how that how that evolves. And also just the products. Like I think there's a lot of AI products coming out now. A lot of them are fairly immature because they were all built in the last six months. Um, but like, I think next year we're going to see them start to come to maturity and to see some of the bigger companies start to release these things into their products more. Like, you know, Slack, as we are mentioning, Slack's going to have their chatbot show up. You know, Google for like all the G Suite stuff. They've announced some very cool things. They're trickling that out. Um, GitHub Copilot X, I think is going to be incredible. That's, you know, moving out. Uh, I, I don't want to comment on how fast it's moving out, but like, I think a lot of these things that have been announced are going to become real sort of in the next year and it's going to feel pretty different. Yeah, it feels a lot more like we've seen some pretty cool things from AI and like what it can do. Some of it feeling a little gimmicky. Some of the images where it's like trying to replicate you as a person, it's like you're like, nah, something's off, but like it's just not that polished. But I think now we're just going to see like these big differences, like you said, that with companies announcing that, not, that's going to be exciting to see and just like is really going to make a big shift for how we view AI. Yeah. And you know, the other thing that's just sort of fun with the, like trying to figure out what all the layers of the stack are is there are also people uh, who are making sort of app frameworks for AI. And what's hard about that is it kind of feels like, and I say this as someone who's making one of those frameworks himself, it feels like, you know, we went back in time to when JavaScript was first released in the browser and someone said, can you make me react today? And like, it's really hard to make React without having years of experience of seeing like, what are the common patterns? What are the problems that need to be solved? And so today, you know, I think we have some interesting first guesses, but I think that the way these frameworks are going to evolve over the next, you know, year or two, uh, they could look very different from the way they look today. And sort of the, the key abstractions could look very different. Very cool. That's probably a good stopping point for us to dive into picks. In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to choose things that share with all of you that we find interesting. Augustus, you want to start us off? Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, I have two picks. One is um, I never thought I would recommend a bottle, but here I am. Uh, there's a bottle called Owala. Um, and it's just a really well-designed bottle. It's like a hydro flask, but um, I just love it. I recently bought one and it's great. I think it's worth checking out. Very, very sleek design. And 
I love how like when you carry it, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel awkward. So that's all I'll say about it. It's just a <laughs> bottle. <laughs> uh, the and then my second pick, which is somewhat related to this topic, um, is this article or paper I found called "Hidden Technical Debt and Machine Learning Systems." I found it uh, when I was perusing some ML ops kind of guide, and it's a really really quick but um, detailed write up of some of the pitfalls that happen when you're designing ML systems. And just it's just a really good summation of here's the problem, here's like how you might solve it, and it's pretty tempting to do, but here are like the ramifications of how that can impact you. And I think it's just like a really good read for anyone who's like in, trying to get involved in ML. Augustus, thanks for sharing. Cole, what do you have for us? My two picks today are just fun for life. Uh, first pick is a movie called Joyride. It, uh, if you saw everything everywhere all at once, it has Stephanie Hsu and uh, other notable actresses who get up to the most craziest hijinks. And uh, it's just, it's hysterical. Um, and it's good to see the representation. The other pick I have is uh, if you're like me and you have struggles with sleep, getting to bed, falling to sleep, staying asleep, I will put you on to something that was a game changer for me. It's called tart cherry juice. You don't want the sweet stuff. You don't want whatever. Uh, get the tart cherry juice, drink a fourth of a cup before bed, and you will sleep peacefully uh, the second or third night. The first night, you will be waking up to go to the bathroom because it is also a digestive aid. And it is also a um, great recovery tool for workouts and stuff. So yeah, uh, Tart cherry juice changed my life. Very cool. I know you have told me about that. I still need to try that one. I'm I'm gonna be I'm gonna be listening to every subsequent front end happy hour episode in hopes of further homeopathic remedies for, from Cole. That's setting the bar now. <laughs> he is like has to live up to that. Buckle up, there's more. All right, Stacy, what do you have for us? Sure, I've got two picks. Um one is on this topic. Um it's there's a really great podcast episode called Don't Fall for the AI Hype with Timnit Gabru. Um, she's the founder and executive director of the Distributed AI Research Institute um, and former co-lead of the ethical AI research team at Google. And I think in that podcast, there's just like, you can learn so much from her about some of the things. We didn't really cover any of that on this episode, but just like how it can be dangerous. How can we make it safe? How can we make people um, feel represented and that kind of thing? So I think there's a lot, a lot to dig into there. And I think that's a really good episode um, to listen to on that. Um, and then the second pick I have is Music Pick. Um, it's a, a song called A Little Bit Further by Tourists. It's a really lovely sort of upbeat electronic track full of, I don't know, summer vibes. Listen to it while you go on, go on a drive. Um, it samples a song called Song for Wild by Mark Fry. It's a psychedelic folk musician. It's a really old song, um, but it's done in a really great way. Awesome. Those are great picks, Stacey. Jem, uh, what do you have for us? Yeah, today I have two picks. Uh, the first one is a show on Amazon, funny enough. Um, I've picked it before, but this one is Marvelous Miss Maisel season five. It's the the final season of a really, really great show. Uh, season five kind of, I don't know, I would say got, got off the rails a little bit, but it's a very different style than the previous seasons. But it's a, it's a nice conclusion to the series. And if you haven't seen any of it, definitely worth checking out. Uh, my second pick is a uh, link that... Nick sent me in the in the run up to this episode called a 
guide for AI newcomers. I'm an AI newcomer. And uh, I found this a really approachable guide to just learning about like prompt engineering, the limitations of AI, uh, really easy read and a really good rundown of kind of where we are today. So I, I recommend checking that out. Thank you. I appreciate that. Right on. Nick, what do you have for picks for our listeners? I have three picks. The first is the city of Cape Town. Uh, I just went on vacation. It's an absolutely beautiful part of the world. The scenery is incredible. Um, there are penguins and lots of animals around. Um, the second pick is dog training. Uh, I have been going on a journey of spiritual renewal with my dog and, uh, it just, she is just so much calmer and happier and it's, uh, I can't believe we didn't do it sooner. And I just really recommend it to people. Um, and then the last pick is the open source AI framework I've been working on called AI.JSX. And it's a framework for front-end developers or full-stack JavaScript developers who want to integrate AI with their user interfaces. Very cool. Uh, so when when can we check this one out? Uh, right now. Nice. Right on. Yeah, just, just AIJSX.com, I think, or AIJSX on GitHub. Awesome. I have two picks not related to AI. Well, no, not really. One's robot related is a restaurant in San Francisco um, called Zenpo. It's a bullet train sushi. So there's a little uh, train that delivers your sushi as well as like a little robot server that delivers your sushi. <laughs> and usually I would say these things are gimmicky. And so usually maybe the food's not going to be that great, but the sushi's quite good. I have no complaints. I've been there a couple times because my kids love it. And so I'm able to actually still eat sushi and my kids like sushi enough to eat it, but the robots absolutely help. So that's been a fun one. I highly recommend checking that out if you're in San Francisco or in the area. And then another San Francisco pick is a video I came across from Thrasher. They talk about this old ledge, uh, which is an area in right across from the ferry building in on Embarcadero in San Francisco. It's a really cool video talking about how things have changed and how they were skateboarding there. It's just a quick video, definitely worth checking out. Nick, uh, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, definitely sharing some great insights into AI. I've learned a lot even just on this episode. Where can people get in touch with you? Uh, Nick Heiner on Twitter or X or whatever it's called by the time this episode airs. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm surprised we hadn't made that earlier. So thank you, Oof. Nick, for throwing that. I saw even online just before we dove on this episode, they were already removing the Twitter sign on Market Street. And that that feels weird. It, it, it does feel weird. Yeah. So I read in Platformer that uh, Twitter did not like get permits for the crane. And so no. they just like had a crane pull up and like the police were like investigating. And then they said, quote, we determined it was not a police-related law enforcement incident <laughs> to have this crane, so they drove away. Uh, but yeah, like, of, of course, it's just so fitting with Twitter. They don't even get permission for their own crane. Actually, I'm not surprised to hear that, so that's that's hilarious. Well, thank you so much, Nick, uh, for joining us. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. You can find us on Twitter at FrontEndHH. You can follow us at FrontEndHappyHour.com. Really subscribe to us, uh, whatever you like to listen to podcasts on. Any last words? It's been it's been great learning today. Cheers. 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 <laughs> Ring a ding ding.